This last year for Halloween, I went as Charlie Brown, uh, the bald head. Kind of made it a no-brainer. So Abby drew the big, you know, curly Q on my forehead. Um, although I didn't, I didn't shave my beard. Couldn't bring myself to do it. So I looked like a middle-aged, like tired Charlie Brown. Um, I think the year before that, I was a Jurassic Park dinosaur wrangler, and our kids went in those inflatable, like Velociraptor costumes or T-Rex costumes, whatever they are. And that was just a joy, by the way. It, just to um, so both our boys were the were the inflate in the inflatable costumes, and our neighbor's kid also was the inflatable dinosaur. And so they got together, and they'd be running down the street. And if you've ever seen someone in those inflatable costumes running, it's so great because you can't fully move your legs apart to run. So you're kind of like quickly shuffling, and then you got your little arms tied up here, and the head of the dinosaur is like bouncing around doing its own thing. I loved that. I got such a kick out of that. And um, I've also been Indiana Jones many times um, because I, I have the hat and I, I like wearing it. And you can't pull off an Indiana Jones hat most of the time, so Halloween seems to be the time to do it. Um, and then one year, I discovered as a joke that I could fit into an extra large child's onesie from Target, like full-on zip-up footy jammies, right, from, from Target. Um, and so I went one year as a toddler, and that was when James was really, really little. So we put him in a onesie and me in the, the onesie jammies, so that was pretty great. Um, so those are some of the things I've been for Halloween since I've been an adult. Um, go ahead, hit the comments. Let me know what some of your best Halloween costumes ever were. Okay, um, So hit those uh, in the comments, and then we'll kind of laugh at each other and enjoy that. Um, but I get a kick out of Halloween because... You kind of get to be anyone you want, and I love seeing other people's imaginations for what they can be and what they can look like. Uh, um, one of my favorites from church was a few years ago, and I never would have thought of this. It was so creative. Um, Chris and Joda Garner went as board games, and so uh, Joda was Twister, and Chris, uh, he's the, uh, the guy from Operation, like the patient from Operation. And, you know, I don't think I've ever seen Chris and thought, he looks like the guy from Operation. But when he came dressed in, like, dressed like this, I thought, you know, I kind of see it. And so um, I thought that was great. Um, also, there was a few years ago, we were walking around town, and we came across a couple. that They were dressed in, in some Rockford Peach baseball uniforms. And if you don't know, the Rockford Peaches were a, a professional women's baseball team from Rockford, Illinois. Um, they were the, the kind of the center story of the movie A League of Their Own, which I, I watched as a kid. And so, I, you know, as you're walking around Loami, it's such a small town that over the course of the night of trick-or-treating with your kids, you'll pass the same people usually a couple times. And every time I passed them, it was everything I could do not to just yell, there's no crying in baseball. That's what I wanted to say, but I didn't. But that's the fun of Halloween, right? That, that you can look like anyone, look like anything. And my kids like start the day after Halloween talking about what they're going to be next year. Um, so let me ask a different kind of question along the same lines. It's different, but it's the same. What does it look like? What does it look like to be a good Christian? What does a good Christian look like to you? Now, I'm sure just about anybody could come up with, you know, an answer to that question. We could rattle off a list of things. And most of our list would contain, contain things like, well, you know, a good Christian goes to church, a good Christian reads the Bible, a good Christian gives, a good Christian prays. Um, depending on the church background you grew up in, you might want to tag on a dress code to that. A good Christian always wears a shirt and a tie. Um, you might say a good Christian should know all 800 verses of Amazing Grace. 
because there's a lot of them. Um, and there's one old saying that I, I think I learned in, in high school. It goes way farther back than that, but, but good Christians don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date folks that do. Like, that's, a, that's an old one. Um, but, but what's difficult <clears throat> about a list like this is that it deals with things that you can do that look that can make you look like a, a very deep person of faith without really having much faith at all. It doesn't require faith to sit through an hour-long church service or to know songs or to even read the Bible. It doesn't require deep amounts of faith to close your eyes and talk to God. Um, you can do everything on that list I just rattled off, and you can look like a follower of Jesus without really doing much following in your everyday life. And, you know, unfortunately, when we put together a list like that, like we tend to focus on outward appearance, you know, um, you know, it's really easy to even come to church and we look at a person and they can fit a certain mold of what we think a good Christian looks like. And we can think, wow, they're so spiritual. And then what happens is we kind of make the same mistake with our own faith. And we tend to focus on the parts of our lives that, you know, make us more outwardly look like a Christian, more visibly look like a Christian. But this perspective that doing certain Christian things makes you a good Christian, that's a really flawed way of looking at it. I mean, by that same logic, wearing scrubs, having a stethoscope around your neck, and having terrible handwriting makes you a good doctor. You see, there's more to this than just looking the part. And as we get into our passage today from the New Testament book of James, that's exactly what we're going to see. Uh, faith is more than some external checking off of some faith activities. Now, if you've missed the last few weeks, we are in the middle of a series called Faith That Works. And we are working, work, working, we are working through the New Testament um, letter. It's actually a letter called James. It was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, which that couldn't have been easy to be Jesus' half-brother, right? Um, and, and James wrote this to Christians, this letter to Christians, who are going through some incredible struggles. At this point in time, most of the Christians were, were Jewish in origin, Jewish in their faith, that became Christians. And, and they had been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire through a series of events. And so they've left their home, they've left their friends, they've left their culture, and they're living in these different parts of the Roman Empire in a time when Christians were hated. Christianity uh, was something that was seen as vile. People would round up Christians. They could be beaten, tortured, arrested, and even murdered for their faith. And James is writing this to those people who are going through those struggles, and he's trying to show them how to build a real, solid, vibrant faith, even in the midst of, of all the suffering and in the midst of a culture that really wants to squash out their faith. Now, today we're going to be in what I think is one of the most challenging passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And, and it's, we're going to start today in James 1.19. So if you've got a Bible with you that you want to follow along with, or if you want to get your Bible app loaded up and ready to follow along, uh, go ahead and do that now. Um, but the reason why I say that this is one of the most challenging uh, verses or passages in the entire uh, New Testament, and maybe even the Bible, is because it forces us to take an honest look in the mirror and ask a, a really hard question. It's, it's a simple question, but it's so hard. And the question is, am I truly a Christian? Am I truly a Christian? And a lot of people that come to church on a Sunday morning, you want to say, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian. But again, the question isn't, do I look like a Christian? Do I have Christian activities that I do throughout the week? But am I truly a Christian? And that's the question that James is going to kind of force us to, 
to ask ourselves as we read today. So let's go ahead and dive into James chapter 19, or James chapter 1, excuse me. Uh, We'll start in verse 19 and read through verse 20. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. Now, he, he loves these people. He really does. And like anybody um, that you love, you want to, sometimes you got to tell them the hard truth, the, the real, you know, what's really going on. So he says, know this, because I love you guys. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, and so he kicks off right here with this idea that our faith is, is more than just our outward appearance. And maybe you didn't catch that from this, but, but we'll, I'll explain as we go through this. Um, but he wants us to see that faith is more than just outward appearances. Um, now, one thing also that's helpful to note as you go through the book of James is that a lot of what James says, a lot of the, the things he writes, he writes as imperatives or commands, as in things that are not optional, things that he's just straight up telling us to do. And he has the authority to do that because he was an apostle, somebody who saw and interacted with the risen Jesus and was given a calling by the risen Jesus. And he ended up being one of the the main leaders in the, the, the first church in Jerusalem. So he has the authority to command us as Christians to do things. And the commands he starts off with are be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And these three commands show that the primary aspect of being a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus, is being open to having your heart changed. That's something I think we don't often think about. If you're a Christian, one of the main goals of your life should be to every single day have your heart influenced, shaped, remolded, and changed by the word of God, and by the work of the Holy Spirit living in you. Our lives should be primarily about daily change into being like Jesus. It's not about our exterior of looking like a Christian. It's about our heart being like the heart of Jesus. And so let me explain how this shows up here in this passage. Um, he says we need to be quick to hear. Okay, hear, hear what? Hear who? Well, in the verse before this one, verse 18 that we didn't look at, and in verse 22, or 21, excuse me, he's talk, he talks about the word of God, or he calls it the word of truth in verse 18. I think he's telling us that we need to be quick to hear the word of God. We need to be quick to listen to, eager to listen to God's word and let it speak to us. And we can do this in all kinds of ways. Right now, you're doing it, right? We're walking through a verse of the Bible. I, I've spent my career training to um, unpack the Bible and explain it in ways that are hopefully engaging and understandable, right? So this is one way you're doing it. I'm presenting to you the word of God, the word of truth. Um, you can also listen to, read or listen to the Bible every single day. I mean, you can get a, a Bible app that will read you the Bible for free right now if you have an Apple or, or Android device. That's just a blessing of the, the day that we live in, the time in which we live, right? And so we as Christians, we need to get as much Scripture into our lives as possible so that we can open our hearts and hear it and listen to it. Let it do something in our lives. And then he says you need to be slow to speak, okay? We're quick to listen, quick to hear, but slow to speak. Sometimes we speak in um, 
defensively. Like some, you might hear something from a sermon and be like, well, I don't have that problem. That's not my issue. No, I, but I know somebody who has that problem. Or sometimes we'll, we'll hear something and we'll be bothered by how challenging it is. And so we just start talking to add noise to distract us away from actually dealing with our issues. But when he tells us to be slow to speak, that's James saying, give room for the Spirit to actually speak to you. Be, be quick to hear, but slow to speak. Don't make a lot of noise. That means meditate on God's Word. Let it have space in your life to actually speak. Mull it over in your head. Meditate on it. Say it over. Repeat it over and over and over again. A verse that jumped out at you or something from a sermon that jumps out at you. Repeat it over and over. Let it challenge you. Let it saturate your day. Let it reveal to you the sin you have in your life. And let it convict you and reshape you from the inside out. That is the goal as a believer, as a Christ follower. And then he says, and also be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Because a common response when someone or something says that you're wrong, that you have a fault, that you have something in your life that is maybe even evil and you need to work on it, and maybe even that evil in your heart, you're going to have to reflect on your past choices and maybe go to apologize to some people, that's hard to hear. None of us want to hear that we need work. None of us want to hear that we need improvement or correction. And it's very common for our immediate response when we read something that says there's something wrong with you, something evil in you that you need to deal with. It's easy to respond to that with anger. And I've had people, you know, who, who get angry at the preacher. I don't like how you said that. How dare you tell people to live this way and walk away? I've seen people write off the Bible as an outdated book that people need to either edit or forget if, if it's going to have any place in our modern day. I've seen people walk away from church, and it all just looks like they're, they just can't handle. They don't want to address the fact that the Bible is calling their something in their life or something in their heart sin. And so we get angry, and anger is mainly just a way in this circumstance to defend the sin in our heart, to protect the sin that exists inside all of us so that it continues to eat away at our life. And so one of the most common reactions to having your sin called out is anger. And so I think what James is saying in this verse is you need to stop not be quick to jump in and defend, quick to jump in and get angry and accuse and, and deflect, but let God's word just sit and work on your heart. Sit and uh, soak it in. Like, you know, one of the things I like to do, I've done this my whole life, is um, anytime I'm doing dishes, if there's anything that is remotely, like, real dirty, like, even, like, medium amount of dirty, it's like, mm, that thing needs to soak, and you put it in the water and put the soap in there and swish it around and then you just let it like sit, you know, overnight. It's just kind of my way of forgetting about it. But in reality, that's not a bad way to think about this. Your heart needs to soak. You got some dirt and crud in there and you need to let it soak in the soapy oil destroying water of God's word so that it can clean us out. That's what we need to do. And so James says that we need to put a hold on immediately jumping in to defending ourselves or to anger. But it actually asks the question, is God's word revealing something in me now? Is God's word telling me something that I need to deal with? And do I need to listen to that? And verse 20 says that part of the goal for a Christian is to live lives that are more and more reflecting of the righteousness of God. That's one of the keys that tells me this is talking about being remade from the inside out because when we get remade from the inside out, only once we are remade in the inside out, from the inside out, can we actually start to be people who want 
what Christ wants, who want to live a life of goodness and kindness and love and generosity and selflessness. And our anger is just going to get in the way of letting God's word do that work within us. And then James goes on, and we'll start in verse 21, or keep going in verse 21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at one, and at once forgets what he was like. Uh, so here James goes one step further and says, hearing even is not enough. You can't just be about hearing God's word. You've actually got to you know, do what it says. That you and I actually need to make the changes, seek to make the changes that God's word is calling us to make. We, got, we have to deal with the issues that God's word highlights in our lives and in our hearts. Now, one huge aspect of the Christian life, like I said, is being devoted to ridding our hearts of everything nasty, every, every speck of pride, every ounce of greed, every bit of gossiping or, or desire to gossip, the lust, whatever sin exists in your heart, we as Christians need to humbly, meekly submit who we are, good and bad, to the word of God and let God's word reshape us in the image of Jesus. And, and I love the image, uh, the illustration that, that James kind of paints here. It's so good. It's, it's hilarious. He says that this whole thing about looking in a mirror and then going away and forgetting what you look like. Okay, James is saying that when you only you know, hear a sermon but not really ever commit to like, letting God's word do the work in your heart or listening to it or obeying God's word, when you're just a hearer, that's like getting up in the morning looking in the mirror and going, ooh, yuck, because you got crazy hair messed up, or maybe it's your beard in my case. Uh, maybe you've got you know, leftover makeup that's all smeared and you got raccoon eyes. You got crusty stuff in your eyes. Your eyes are all puffy. You got wrinkly clothes on that are gross because you just rolled around in them all night. And, and everything about you just doesn't look like the way you would really typically want yourself to look when you go out into the world. But so he's saying, you look in the mirror first thing, you go, whoa, that's rough. And then you walk away from the mirror and immediately forget how bad you looked. And you think you look fine. And then you go about your day thinking that you're presentable, thinking you're looking good when really you're a mess. Now, let me just make this little caveat given the season that we're in. I understand that maybe you're a person that during this quarantine lockdown season who hasn't had a need to leave the house very often. You've been working from home. You, you just haven't gone anywhere. You've really kind of followed the rules. I understand that maybe that, that looking in the mirror and then forgetting about how bad you look, maybe that's a part of your day. You're like, oh, man, I look rough. You know what? I'm not seeing anybody today. Whatever. I, a leftover shirt, yesterday's makeup, all that stuff's fine. But let's assume, for the sake of this passage and the lesson it's trying to teach, that we are people who are going out into the world on a regular basis and that we do need to see people and look presentable. And he's saying that, that going out into the world and, and forgetting how bad you look, your face is unshaved, your makeup's old, your hair's crazy, your clothes are gross and, uh, and not fresh, and they got stains on it from yes, last night's dinner. He's saying walking out into the world and like that and thinking you're looking good, that's the same thing as you 
hearing God's word and never letting it shape your life, never letting it determine how you live. Now, I have preached a lot of sermons in my life. Um, I, I kind of did some rough math the other day. I think I've preached around 650 sermons since my time here at Loami. And I don't think everyone, anyone has heard all of them, which is probably a good thing. Um, but what that means is a lot of you have heard a lot of sermons. Um, a lot of you have come to church long before I showed up here. Um, maybe you're here and you're thinking, oh, I'm kind of new to the whole church thing and I really haven't heard a lot of sermons. Well, good for you. you this is a passage that explains how you should treat when God's word is taught. And so you can get, get off on the right foot. But a lot of us have heard a lot of sermons. And that's a lot of opportunity to hear God's word. And if we do not do what it says, if we do not let God's word regularly shape our heart, we are going to go through life thinking that we are fine and we are completely, in reality, missing the point. That is a wasting of our time. And in a couple of verses, um, James is going to say that kind of faith is actually worthless. Just straight up worthless. Let's go on to verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law. Now he's talking like looking into the law like you look into a mirror. Let, letting it like reflect on you and, and, and let it examine you. Okay, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says that when we are doers of the word, we are blessed. And we're blessed because we're being set free from sin. He calls God's word the law of liberty. It sets us free. We're able to start putting pride away from our lives, getting rid of pride that makes us selfish and hurtful. We're able to, to let go and, and, and push away lust in our heart that makes us disrespectful and demeaning. We're able to even, and if we can hear the word and do it and truly push sin out of our life and be remade in the image of God, then we will be able to experience God more clearly and more closely as we get over our own desires and we begin living for his. And again, when he says doing, Doing is not just that checking off the list of churchy things, doing things that look very Christian. No, he's talking. He's very much talking about being remade from the inside out. And then once we start letting God's word work on the internal, our external behaviors will begin to change. As God's word cleans and shapes our heart, our actions, our words, how we speak, how we treat people, that stuff will naturally begin to change. But you can't start with the outside. You got to start with the deeper stuff if you ever want to truly have lasting, meaningful change. Over at my house in the parsonage, there's a couple of stains on the carpet. And, okay, there's a lot of stains on the carpet, but there's a couple that, that are really pesky in that um, I'll scrub them, and, and they just kind of keep coming back. And, and they, they, I don't know what they're from. It's hard to keep track, um, you know, with kids. Kids are constantly spilling drinks, dropping things like Play-Doh and, and um, slime. You know, they're just... You never know what it is. So I don't even really remember what these stains originated with. But, but I've, you'll scrub them and it'll look good for a while, and then the stain comes back. And I've gotten, like, really adamant about this. Like, I even bought this brush attachment for my power drill. Um, so it's like I can just soak the area with carpet cleaner and, like, and, like, really, like, let it have it. And, and it, again, it looks good right away. It looks good for a while. But apparently, the stain has soaked through to the pad beneath the carpet. And so... 
I can try as much as I want to clean that top outside layer, but the problem's deeper. And unfortunately, until we can suck out the gunk that's deep down, you know, it's really not going to matter. I'm going to be putting useless effort in, trying to clean my carpet, but never really making a lasting difference. And James is trying to show us that's what our faith is like when we just hear God's word, when we just maybe come to church and go through the motions, and we don't let God's word truly reshape us from the inside out. Just coming to church or watching church online, hearing a sermon, singing some songs, maybe you take part in, in communion and go through all of those motions, um, that might make you look the part. It might make you look like you're a Christian, and it might even make you feel like you've accomplished some important work of your faith, but that's not all this is supposed to be about. This must be about more. This, is about, this isn't about changing the outside. It's about being changed from the inside out, and that's a huge distinction that we need to make as believers, and that's exactly where James is going to go next, talking about what happens when the change on the inside begins showing on the outside. In verse 26, James says, if anyone thinks he is religious, and that term religious, it meant something different there. Like today we think, oh, I'm religious, or I go to church, or I, you know, and you could look at all the different world religions, and you know, people who are Jewish think they're religious, or, or Hindu think they're religious, right? But, but when he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, meaning if, he, if anyone thinks he's living out his faith well, that's what he's saying. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's the worthless I mentioned a few minutes ago. Now James is giving an example of the type of change that we should start to see in our lives when we've allowed God's word to shape our hearts. Um, he's saying if you come to church and you can look the part, right, and you do all the right things when you're at church and with your church family, and everyone thinks, oh, what a good spiritual person. But then the rest of the week you're out gossiping and bad-mouthing people behind their backs and, and you're you know, lying about stuff and you're saying things that are disrespectful or you're talking about a bunch of stuff that's crude and just over-the-top gross. He's like, then that's all the evidence James needs to show that your faith is worthless, that your heart is not really changed. And, and again, that, that, say, that saying at the end of this verse that if you, you know, can't control your mouth, if you're one way on Sunday and then the a different way the rest of the week. When he says your, your faith, your religion is worthless, that should be a little scary to us because he's saying that person's faith, that, that pursuit of salvation, that's useless. That, that person, that they're doing all these things thinking that they are faithful when they're really not. That They've missed the point and maybe they're not even a Christian at all if they're not letting God's word get into their heart and reshape them from the inside out. And then the final verse we're going to look at today is James 1.27. He says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So he said, here's an example of you know, faith that's not quite doing it, like how your, an obvious way that your faith or your heart hasn't been changed and your lifestyle shows it. Now he's saying, here's what your, the way your life will change if you really do have real faith. Um, because from James's perspective, he's saying, real Christianity, it's not about, again, those outside things, church attendance, having good music, engaging sermons. It's not about putting something in the offering plate when it goes by. It's not about, again, going through the motions of, of communion and saying, I did all the Christian-y things. He said, the true faith in Christ, true faith in Christ is a heart that is so changed 
that is so reshaped and surrendered to the will of Jesus that that changed heart overflows into a life of generosity and kindness and purity. A life where, where you're not concerned about looking the part, but about spending your life serving others and honoring God. Now, the only way we're going to get to that point is by hearing the word, hearing God's word, and by doing what it says, stopping, meditating on it, questioning, do I have this sin in my life? Is this verse pointing out some area where I need to change, where I need to be better, an area in my life where I've been accepting sin and I need to start fighting it tooth and nail to get it out of my life so that I can be more like Jesus? And then we do whatever we need to do to listen to God's word and partner with the Holy Spirit living in us to allow our hearts, our souls to be reshaped, remade, and reclaimed for God through his word. Now, let's go back to the question that we think that, that I think James is, is calling us to ask. The question I want you to ask yourself, and again, I think James wants you to ask it too. Am I truly a Christian? Am I truly a Christian? Or am I a Christian really? Not do I look like one, do I have a lot of Christian activities, but am I really a Christian? Or would after talking about this today, would, would some of you have to admit that maybe You've viewed your faith as, as this sort of checking off the list of um, Sunday morning activities. Because that's usually what, that's the easiest way to look like a Christian is to come to church and do the churchy things on Sunday. Or post some verses um, on a, like a nature background on Facebook and, and Instagram. And maybe you said, oh, maybe, maybe I have been concerned with just looking the part and not really letting my life be changed for Christ. Because I'm just going to tell you, James says that kind of faith is worthless. And I'm not doing you any favor by letting you look the part and not be changed. You're simply tricking yourself in, into you know, thinking that, yeah, I'm good with all this Christian activity. But real faith is an everyday pursuit to let God and his truth mold and shape us into being more like Jesus. Real faith is about surrendering who you are to the will of God and letting God's word show you the places where you need to change, showing you the places where your heart is broken and corrupt, and, and then inspiring you to move forward. So starting today, whether you feel like you, you are a Christian or whether you feel like, man, I, th I think I've been missing the point, starting today, don't just hear the word, but be a doer as well.